Hello, and welcome to the podcast series, Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith Devnum Attorneys at Law, where we explore a range of legal topics impacting businesses and private individuals. So be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. My name is Landon G. Van Winkle, and I'm an attorney in the firm's consumer financial services section. I'll be your moderator today. Today's topic is reining in the stocking horse, bad faith allegations, and Section 363M. We will be discussing the Section 363 asset sale process used in bankruptcy cases, the use of stocking horse bidders in asset sales, and the protections afforded to a winning bidder under Section 363M. Before we begin, I want to note the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, any and all information shared is for general informational purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. With that out of the way, let's now turn our attention to this week's topic. With me today is J. Ronald Jones, Jr. Ron is an attorney in the firm's commercial creditor bankruptcy section and managing partner of the firm's Charleston office. Ron, why is a 363 sale an important process? Why should people care about this? 363 is a tool that's used in a lot of Chapter 11 cases. Um, oftentimes in Chapter 11s, you know, the sale of assets are a tool, and it's important that you understand how to um, approach a 363 sale, both as the seller, the purchaser, the creditors, or the stalking horse. So can you kind of explain for our listeners exactly how the 363 process works? So the process is referred to as a, as a 363 sale because the relevant statute governing the process is Section 363 of Title 11, which is the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. When a debtor files a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the debtor is typically put in charge of the bankruptcy estate, acting as what we call a debtor in possession. The debtor in possession can exercise a lot of powers under the bankruptcy code that a bankruptcy trustee can exercise. One of those powers is the ability to enter into commercial transactions like selling and leasing property of the estate in what we call the ordinary course of business. And that's covered under section 363C. The debtor in possession can typically engage in ordinary course transactions and business sales without court approval or oversight. Then there are commercial transactions that are not in the ordinary course of business, and they're governed by Section 363B. These transactions require advance approval from the court and are subject to notice and other requirements. Sometimes the court may hold a hearing to determine whether a sale is appropriate. Whether something is in the ordinary course of business is context-specific based on the particular data. So, for example, if you're a corporation running a little corner market and you file for Chapter 11, you don't have to go and get the court's permission every time you want to sell a candy bar, a bag of chips, a can of soda, or a few gallons of gas to a customer. That's in your ordinary course of business. On the other hand, if you want to sell the company truck, that would probably be outside the ordinary course of business and would require court approval. If you're a debtor running a car dealership, selling cars is in your ordinary course of business so you might not need to get court approval to do so. So the bottom line is 
Whether the sale is a transaction in the ordinary course of business really depends on the business of the debtor. A good rule of thumb is that the transaction is a close call, like it might be ordinary course of business or not, it's probably better to be safe than sorry and get court approval for the transaction. Okay, so if I'm the debtor in possession and I want to sell something outside the ordinary course of business, what do I need to do? Well, the process will differ a bit depending on what the property is and how you propose to sell it. Are you going to sell it via a public auction or a private sale? Are there liens or security interests on the property? Are you going to propose to sell the property free and clear of those liens or subject to those liens? Generally speaking, any sale is going to require permission from the court, which would typically be a motion to approve the sale. You'd also need to provide notice of the sale to any person who has an interest in the property to be sold, such as a lien creditor or a co-owner. If you're going to use an auction, you might want to use a stalking horse procedure to increase the price. Okay, so what is a stalking horse and how does that work? Typically, the court is going to have to approve a sale procedure for the auction. In other words, the court is going to want to know in advance how you plan to sell the asset, where the auction is going to be held, how is the auctioneer going to be paid, what advertising is going to be conducted, those sorts of things. Remember, the goal of the sale outside the ordinary course of business is to maximize the return to the estate for the benefit of the debtor's creditors. So the court has an interest in ensuring that any sale is conducted in a manner that is reasonably expected to do that. One method that is sometimes used is called the stalking horse bidder. Basically, the debtor finds a potential buyer willing to buy the asset for a fixed price that the court will approve. That price becomes a backstop of sorts, so that if the debtor can't find any better offers, the stalking horse gets to buy the asset on an agreed price. Typically, the process will require a competing bidder to beat the stalking horse price by a fixed amount so that you don't have bids being placed for pennies over the stalking horse price. The idea is to prime the pump, so to speak, so that you can start bidding at a price that you know at least one buyer is already willing to pay. Depending on the asset being sold, the stalking horse may be at a disadvantage because it will have to incur some expenses in conducting due diligence to determine what it's willing to pay for the asset. In order to entice a stalking horse bidder to commit to a sale, in some situations, a court will allow a breakup fee, which is a fee paid to the stalking horse bidder in the event that someone else outbids it for the assets. The breakup fee is extended to help the stalking horse recoup some of its due diligence expenses. Once the auction is held, the court will have to approve and finalize the sale, which will then transfer title of the asset to the buyer. So if I'm a potential competing bidder in a bankruptcy asset sale, and a stocking horse bid's already in place, is there any protection for me as the buyer if I win the auction and then the stocking horse or some other creditor decides that the sale was improper and they appeal the bankruptcy court's order approving the sale? The short answer is yes. There's a provision in section 363, subsection M, that is intended to provide finality to a sale. In a nutshell, it says all you need to do as the winning bidder is show that you were acting in good faith when you purchased the property and you still get to keep it even if the bankruptcy court's order approving the sale is later reversed on appeal. This is true even if you know that the order is being appealed, unless the bankruptcy court or the district court stays the sale order pending the appeal. The concept of finality is important because if every sale was potentially subject to being reversed based on an appeal, very few buyers would be interested in purchasing assets from the bankruptcy estate and consequently 
Creditors of debtor would suffer because any asset sold would necessarily fetch lower prices due to the lack of demand. That makes sense. So tell me what happened in this case, uh, Watertech Holdings, LLC. This was a Chapter 11 case in South Carolina. Is that right? That's right. In this case, the Chapter 11 debtor was Watertech Holdings, LLC. Watertech had developed some valuable intellectual property related to disinfecting products that even have potential pandemic uses. Prior to the bankruptcy filing, Watertech had been involved in negotiations with several potential buyers to sell the vast majority of its assets. On the day it filed for Chapter 11, it filed a 363 motion seeking approval for bidding procedures to sell all of its assets. Initially, the debtor proposed a stalking horse bidder that was going to pay $125,000 for the assets and waive some claims it had against the debtor. Other potential buyers objected, and the stalking horse bidder ended up submitting a revised bid for $250,000. The bankruptcy court entered an order approving the sale procedures that required a marketing period for assets to be marketed to other potential buyers, a competing bid deadline, a deposit from the stalking horse of half of its bid, or $125,000, and any competing bid had to beat the stalking horse bid by at least $25,000. So if I had wanted to bid, I would have had to have bid at least 275000 Right. The rub in this case was that there was a late filed bid from a competing bidder, PureCycle LLC. PureCycle's bid was a qualified bid under the bankruptcy court's order in every respect, except that it wasn't timely. The stalking horse bidder objected and claimed that PureCycle was acting in bad faith. As it turns out, there was some apparent animosity between the principal of Pure Cycle and the principal of the stalking horse bidder, as they had been involved in other business together and there had been many disputes among them. However, neither Pure Cycle nor its principal was affiliated with the stalking horse. In ruling on the objection by the stalking horse bidder, the bankruptcy court first found that it had absolute discretion under the sale procedures order to determine whether Pure Cycle was a qualified bidder. The debtor also urged the court to accept PureCycle's bid as qualified bidder since it would result in a higher price for the assets. The court overruled the stalking horse bidder's objection because the case law related to bad faith indicates that the relevant inquiry is the fairness and openness of the sale itself. Was there fraud, collusion between the bidders, or an attempt to take unfair advantage of other bidders? Since none of those criteria fit here, the court found that Pure Cycle was a good faith purchaser entitled to the protections of 363M. It allowed the auction to proceed in open court that ended up with Pure Cycle purchasing the debtor's assets for $525,000 in cash, which was more than double the stocking horse initial bid. So what's the key takeaway for any potential purchaser in a future 363 sale? It's important that the sale process be fair and open and everything should be above board. As a purchaser, you should definitely wanna make sure that the order approving the sale contains a finding that you're a good faith purchaser entitled to the protections of section 363M. And to do that, you need to follow common sense. Don't try to collude with other bidders to manipulate the price. Make full disclosure of any connections between yourself and the debtor. So there's no question that the sale is an arm's length transaction, particularly for larger sales or complex assets. It's probably a good idea to secure legal representation from an attorney experienced in bankruptcy law and bankruptcy asset sales. 
Well, thank you very much, Ron. That was an excellent discussion. I want to thank everybody in the audience uh, for listening. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, Ron, is there an email address or a phone number that they can uh, reach out and contact you? Yes, my email is rjones at smithdebnamlaw.com. My telephone number is 843-714-2535. I invite any questions on this topic or others. Well, excellent. Thanks very much again, Ron. And uh, everybody out there in the audience, uh, don't forget to subscribe, like, and uh, make sure to check out our other episodes. And in the meantime, uh, stay well, and we hope to see you again soon.